Well, domestic politics this week has been consumed with the implications of the High Court declaring indefinite immigration detention to be unconstitutional. Tomorrow, the Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law at UNSW is turning its sights to the bigger picture at its 10th anniversary conference, which has the intriguing title, Learning from the Future, Foresight for the Next Decade of Forced Migration. The global statistics on forced migration are stark. At the end of 2022, 108.4 million people worldwide were forcibly displaced as a result of persecution and conflict. That was an increase of 19 million from the previous year, which is the largest ever increase between years in UNHCR records. The keynote address at tomorrow's conference is being given by Arathi Krishnan, who over the last three years has been Senior Advisor for Risk Anticipation and Strategic Foresight at the United Nations Development Programme, Asia Pacific. And Arathi joins us now on RN. Welcome to Sunday Extra. Thank you so much for having me, Julian. It's, uh, it's lovely being here. Arthur, you released an updated key risks report for the UNDP in May on anticipating risks and uncertainties for Asia and the Pacific. And that highlighted water scarcity as an impending catalyst for forced migration. I wonder if we could start by hearing a little bit about that category of risk. So when we looked at those risk issues, we really tried to pull through how different risks were interconnecting with each other. It's never just one thing. And that's the challenge of our time. So when we looked at issues of climate change, um, and as of, of course, as we know, heat inequality is one of the emerging areas in that, but in equally, water scarcity and its impact on access to natural resources was increasingly becoming more and more risky. What we mean by that is the decline in quality and access of natural resources is fast becoming a threat to the region's population. And as well as the gap between the access and the availability to fresh water. And why this is important is because whilst water supply is forecasted to remain relatively the same over the next couple of decades, because of issues of increased heat, of groundwater extraction, of uh, mismanagement in water governance, etc. The demand for it is expected to rise, which means that people, what is in supply, is not going to meet what is in demand. And though people choose to move for a variety of reasons, access to clean and safe water is one is one of the reasons that contributes to it. You've cited Pakistan as a really arresting example of these interconnected, multi-dimensional crises. Could you talk us through that? Sure, and thank you for bringing that up. I think the Pakistan example is a shocking indicator and a scary indicator of what is to come. Um, it is an example of what we're calling a polycrisis or what experts are calling a polycrisis, which is a really messy entanglement of multiple, uh, multiple things, multiple horrible, horrible things happening all at the same time. So let's start with Pakistan. In early 2022, it began on the cusp of a sovereign default. Its foreign exchange reserves were fast depleting. It wasn't fiscally strong enough to handle its sky rating inflation. 
This was a real challenge because, you know, in the other part of the world, Russia invaded Ukraine. And the impact of that reverberated across many, many regions and countries' uh, fiscal strength. And in Pakistan in particular, it was inflation. Now, what that means in very real terms is that costs of fuel was increasing, costs of food was increasing, costs of gas, um, everything in that enables people to just, you know, survive from day to day was becoming untenable. Now, last summer, the country uh, also experienced a record-topping heat wave with some parts of the country recording more than 50 degrees Celsius. And as canal beds and water supplies were drying up, people couldn't even turn the fans on or let alone put air conditioning on. Because again, coming back to the cost of fuel and cost of gas and all of that, it was making it impossible. So if you're not safe being in your house to cool down and a majority of the population works outside and it's becoming increasingly health um, uh increasingly dangerous health-wise to work outside, Pakistanis were collapsing and some dying from that. Now, this extreme heat event was then compounded by, as you've said, the devastating floods that impacted, I think it was about 33 million Pakistanis. Soon after that, Prime Minister Imran Khan was ousted, um, and then it set off a chain of political crises. So it's never, and I said, I was using this example um, a few months ago on a a panel um, that had a member of the Emergency Management Authority in the United States. And she reflected that the scenario I was talking about, that in the States, it was considered an Armageddon scenario. And in our spaces, and, and I guess in reality, that what is considered Armageddon in one place is actually reality in another. And that's the reality we have to contend with. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Arathi Krishnan, who's giving the keynote address at the Calder Centre for International Refugee Laws Conference on foresight for the next decade of forced migration. Arathi, your, your specialty is risk anticipation and strategic foresight. In terms of what actually anticipatory risk analysis is, how is it different from what we might think of as risk analysis? Yeah, thank you. Uh, this is my nerdy side coming out. So generally, I would say how we make decisions about what to be prepared for. Traditionally, we looked at what's happened in the past. So we look at how something has unfolded in the past. We look at past data, past trends, and then we make decisions based on how we've handled that in the past. Usually when we're trying to be a little bit more forward-looking, we're still being forward-looking, but in a near-term time frame. So two things. We assume that things that have unfolded in the, the way it's unfolded in the past will unfold in the same way in the future. And even when we're trying to prepare for risk, we use the same uh, timelines, maybe three to four months, maybe three to four weeks, but never really long term. So to be anticipatory in the face of what is emerging really means we need to be able to identify risks and crises that might emerge in the long term. That is not necessarily something that we can mitigate straight away. And the types of governance and decision making we have to do for that cannot follow what we've done in the past. And what I mean by that is what we're essentially asking leadership is to say, okay, let's invest X amount of money to protect against something that really may or may not happen. And in a climate where, you know, financing budget envelopes are really, really tight, how do you make a decision 
and uh, defend that decision when you're not sure whether something could emerge. Hmm. Um, and that's the fundamental difference between, I guess, uh, the way we traditionally make decisions where we look for uh, to be as exact as possible and we put in measures to control it. Whereas what we're dealing with, we don't really know what the potential impact is going to be. So how do we manage it? How do we price it? And then how do we make decisions around it? In a piece in the Saturday paper yesterday, you cited some examples of that sort of foresight thinking, long-term thinking. Could you give us some of those examples? Yeah, absolutely. So in the ways we want to make decisions about uh, the future, um, number one, how do we pay attention and how do we know to prioritize about what is emerging when there's so much data coming at us? An example to look at is how uh, how much attention we paid to the information being given to us about COVID before it actually occurred. And though it was considered a shock, people were calling it a black swan event that wasn't true. Uh, experts were actually warning about that for about a decade beforehand. And the challenge was our decision makers and leaders weren't necessarily paying attention to it. So what we're encouraging um, and, you know, the UN Secretary General has now put, uh, you know, has now called for governments and multilateral systems to be more long term in its thinking to prevent us from falling back into the same decisions. And what what it actually means or what it's fundamentally looking for is we is to be able to deal with the challenges and crises in front of us as well as trying to understand what is emerging and the crises that might not just hit us but our children our grandchildren our great grandchildren and try to put in and make actions today that could mitigate the impacts of that Arthur, you've described giving the keynote at the conference tomorrow as a bit of a homecoming for you. Could you just tell us a little bit about your own story and why it is a homecoming to be at the Calder Centre for International Law? Yeah, thanks, Julian. Um, yeah, I haven't been back in Australia, I think, since probably late 2017, early 2018. Um, so it's been a genuine delight to come home. Um, I was born in Malaysia. I grew up in Australia, uh, but have lived outside for a very, very long time. Um, and to be able to return after all this time, having spent the early part of my career for a long time in Melbourne with organizations like Australian Red Cross, etc., it's... It's wonderful to be welcomed back so warmly, A, but to also bring all the um, experience um, and expertise that I've been uh, lucky enough to, to, to build on um, globally in the last few years, and then to come home and talk about an issue that's so close to my heart. As an immigrant myself, you know, I'm very aware of how quickly our fortunes can change, and to be able to speak on this and share my experience and to learn from the amazing groups of people that are going to be at the conference. It's, um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Well, thanks very much for speaking with us about it today on Sunday Extra. Thank you so much, Julian. Uh, and it was wonderful to be here and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Arathi Krishnan is giving the keynote at the 10th annual conference of UNSW's Caldor Centre for International Refugee Law. And her address is called Thinking About the Future of Forced Migration. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.